0: I'm going to tell you we're going to do things a little bit different. Maybe when you saw your bulletin this morning, you saw that uh, there are no sermon notes in your bulletin, and that's because I want you to keep notes yourself as opposed to me doing it for you. So I want to encourage you already, if you are one who likes to take notes, uh, the title of my sermon today is shows some love, which makes a whole lot of sense because today is Valentine's Day. And we are going to be in Luke chapter 7 for our primary text in verses 11 through 17. So if you want to write that down or you want to go ahead and turn there, you are welcome to do so. By the way, I don't think I said it at the beginning of the service, but happy Valentine's Day. It's a great day for us to be able to celebrate God's love for us. Obviously, often we look at this as a day to talk about other people's love, but the greatest love that we will ever experience is the love that we find in Jesus Christ. Obviously, most of us are familiar with uh, John 3:16 as almost the anthem for Christianity, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And today we celebrate the love that is available to us through Jesus Christ above everything else. One of America's top most popular TV shows over the past several years has been American Idol. A few years ago, the show featured a young lady named Mandisa Hundley. Mandisa is a heavy-set woman And Simon Cowell, one of the judges at the time, had made a sarcastic remark upon seeing her questioning, do we have a bigger stage this year? When she entered the room to learn the judge's verdict of whether she would go on to the next round or be cut, Mandisa looked right at Simon Cowell and addressed him. She said this, Simon, a lot of people want me to say a lot of things to you, but this is what I want to say. Yes, you hurt me, and I cried, and it was painful. It really was, but I want you to know that I have forgiven you and that you don't need someone to apologize in order to forgive somebody, and I figure that if Jesus could die so that all my wrongs could be forgiven, I can certainly extend that same grace to you. I just wanted you to know that. One of the other judges immediately responded with an amen, and Simon apologized and hugged the singer, and then Mandisa discovered that she had been selected to advance to the next round. Somewhere, maybe from a parent, a Sunday school teacher, a friend, or maybe a pastor, Mandisa had heard what Jesus Christ had to say about what true love is all about. And our world needs more Mendesas who will practice such a Christ-like love in the midst of a persecuting world. Well, love comes in many different shapes and sizes. Even in the scriptures, we see it appear in many different ways. And as we celebrate this Valentine's Day, my first thought is what has become known as the love chapter. From 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You don't have to turn there because probably most of you have heard it so many times you could quote it for me. It tells us that love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude or it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Dare I say that few of us perfectly reflect the love that we see described in this particular passage. I know that I might do pretty well at being kind, but then I struggle with being patient. Someone else might not be easily angered, but they can still remember the offense or the wrong that was done to them 25 years ago by their spouse. And part of the problem is that we are imperfect people attempting to live out a perfect love. I will say that such love is possible, but it doesn't make it easy. It can only happen through intentional discipline on our part, as well as the infilling of the Holy Spirit. But it can happen. And I would add that it must happen if we are to truly reflect Jesus Christ in all that we say and do. Well, as you know, I've been in this series that's entitled Jesus Encounters. And each week we've looked at various impacts that Jesus had where he invested in individuals, he loved on them, he said certain things, and they were changed because of their encounter. Some of them are very easy to see. For example, if you were healed, obviously you're going to appreciate him and you will be impacted by that. Today, I want us to look at one family that was impacted directly, but at the same time realized that they weren't alone. Other people were impacted when they saw an incredible type of love. I mentioned it already, but we're in Luke chapter 7 this morning, verses 11 through 17. So uh, I'm going to read today from the NIV, but this is what it says. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, And his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier. That is not a drink. That is a platform. We'll talk about it in a minute. They were carrying him on, and the bearer stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. I would tell you that this is a bit of an odd story, at least in my view, perhaps simply because we don't talk about it very often. Preachers talk about the woman at the well, or the woman who touched the hem of Jesus' garment, the man on the mat, or the various blind and lame or leprous people whom Jesus healed. Yet it seems that this story often gets left out. And I don't really know why. I mean, when, when you really think about it, a dead man is brought back to life. You would expect we would talk about that. I know we certainly do later on with Lazarus and his story where he had been dead for four days and Jesus shows up and raises him from the dead. Shouldn't this have been a big deal? I would say that it was, at least for one lady and then the crowd that watched. And to this lady... This would have been the most impressive thing that anyone could have ever done. Can you imagine the loss that she experienced? Can you imagine when she woke up that day, they had already been grieving for likely at least a couple days. They had already gone through a memorial process where individuals would come by and pay their respects. And she woke up that morning thinking, this is it. This is the day where I say my final goodbye to my son." that woman, as she walked through the town gates, there was no hope. There was no possibility that tomorrow would be a better day. Yet clearly Jesus had other plans. As this encounter begins, we see two large groups of people converging on the same area all at once. On the one hand, we see a funeral procession heading outside of the city. It's not an uncommon sight in that era as most burial plots were usually outside of the city. We have no idea what has caused this man to die but we know that it seems likely that it was either an unnatural death or maybe some type of disease. Maybe that's a little bit presumptuous as young people do still die natural deaths but often when a young person dies we feel an added sense of remorse. It's as if they got cheated. They didn't get to live a full life. By the way, I understand that death can be difficult regardless of the age of the deceased. So I don't intend to diminish the pain of those who have experienced such loss. But it can be disheartening to see someone so young die early. I've done multiple funerals for individuals from Uh, infants all the way to, I think, 97 was the, actually, that's not true, 101 has been the oldest person that I've buried. It is a very different environment when you do a funeral for a young person as opposed to someone who is 101. In this case, although we do not know the exact age of the man, he has survived only by his mother, who is already a widow. I've heard many times that a mother is not supposed to outlive her children, but the truth is it happens far too often. We had a child that died 18 years ago. And I imagine that there are others today who have become somewhat familiar with such grief. I remember doing a funeral several years ago for a gentleman who was loosely connected to our church in Pennsylvania. And as I met with the remaining family, I discovered that he was the youngest of five children. His mother still remained, yet he was also the last of her five children to die. She had outlived all of her children, and my heart broke for her. Well, you've got this very emotional, difficult funeral procession as family and friends solemnly march through the town gate. They've likely already had several days of mourning where many people came and paid their last respects to the family, and this likely just felt like an exclamation mark on a very ugly time in this woman's life. Yet as the band of mourners proceed through the city gate, they are greeted by another band of people with a very different mindset. They are rejoicing, Jesus is coming to town. They're remembering back to the parables that Jesus has already been telling, and probably even remembering back to the healing of the centurion's servant as described earlier in Luke chapter 7. And although Jesus' ministry is relatively new, it is likely that he had somewhat of a celebrity status already. And suddenly, as everyone follows Jesus, he stops his band of followers. Now, it's likely that they simply thought he was doing this out of respect for the deceased, much like we would pull over on the side of the road when a funeral procession goes by. But Jesus was about to do something far more significant. Verse 13 says that when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. Let me suggest to you, that this is the first act of true love as we see in this particular passage. Jesus was compassionate to a woman in grief. When you love someone, there is compassion. This shouldn't surprise us at all, by the way. I mentioned Lazarus earlier. Well, the Gospel of John tells us of his premature death, apparently from some type of illness. And as Jesus approached the home of Lazarus, He is greeted by Lazarus's sisters, Mary and Martha. They're weeping, they're brokenhearted. And it is at this point in the Gospel of John where we see the shortest verse of scripture, Jesus wept. You know, the scriptures only reveal two occasions where Jesus weeps. In both cases, he is weeping for others. Once, because the people are lost. And again, because of their suffering. On one occasion, he weeps over the city of Jerusalem, grieving their spiritual ignorance. The Messiah is coming to town, and instead of rejoicing over his coming, they are about to have him put to death. That's a pretty big deal, and you can understand why Jesus would have wept over them. Imagine a people that had the Messiah at their fingertips. He was available to them, but they were completely blind, had no idea. By the way, that would accurately describe our world today. We live in a world that has Jesus Christ at our fingertips. He is available to us. Yet most of us walk around in darkness having no idea of the availability of a Messiah, This broke Jesus' heart, and he wept over the city of Jerusalem. On this occasion with Lazarus, he is dealing with people who very much love him and already see him as the Messiah. Mary and Martha already got it. He is in no way grieving over their spiritual blindness. Instead, he is grieving simply because the people whom he loved were also weeping. He had compassion on the hurting. That's a pretty big deal, especially to those who may be in the midst of their grief. So I want you to picture this just for a moment. In the midst of these two converging groups, Jesus suddenly puts a stop to everything. He stops his group that is coming into town, but he also stops the other group that is coming into town. He walks over to the grieving mother. And he instructs her not to cry. This is in no way a rebuke of her for her crying. It's not a bad thing that people cry, that we are filled with sorrow. But rather, he he is not rebuking her. He is offering her hope. Yes, things look bleak. Yes, this stinks. But it's about to get a whole lot better. He then walks over to the, the bier, which was a, a portable platform likely carried by four to eight pallbearers bearing the already wrapped deceased body of this young man. The pallbearers pause, almost not knowing what to do, and Jesus then leans in to speak to this dead man. The crowd that had been coming out, they got to be thinking, what is this guy doing? He might not even know who Jesus is yet. This is very early in his ministry. He leans in, he says, young man, I say to you, get up. Now I've tried to picture the response of the pallbearers to what was about to happen in this story. Suddenly this young man who was dead and they have seen him for the last at least two days In mourning, suddenly this young man who was dead is sitting up and talking. Did anyone drop their corner of this platform and run? Did anyone freeze in shock? Did they suddenly reach out to hug their friend? I know at least one person who would not have been able to control her emotions on that occasion. This mother would have been filled with such incredible joy and thanksgiving that she wouldn't have been able to contain it. And it's all made possible because Jesus had compassion on a grieving woman. His compassion led him to act, which is the second thing that I want you to catch here today. True love will always lead to action. The second form of love in this passage is action. Jesus already had compassion in her grief. Now he acted to bring resolution from her suffering. Now, I I get it. We can't all raise people from the dead. It would be nice if we could. I haven't seen it happen yet. Although I do believe that God longs to do great things through his people. But Jesus absolutely could do it. He was the one who breathed life into humanity at the beginning of creation. If he could bring life then, surely he could restore life now. Now, I admit that one of the alarming things within today's church is the fact that many are filled with compassion regarding the pain of others, yet it rarely leads us to action. Yeah, I know sometimes it does, but often it does not. For example, let me just throw a couple of things out here just to kind of help you with this. Does it break your heart that over the course of this service, one hour long, statistically speaking, 98 abortions will have occurred? That means 98 babies killed, having never been given the opportunity at a natural, normal life. Most of us would say, yes, that breaks our heart. But what will we do about it? Some will vote against it. Many Christians will not. Some will pray. Many won't even give it a second thought. Some will offer resources or even get involved in adoption or foster care yet many will see the problem as too big and never do anything to resolve this crime against humanity. Again, we have compassion. Does it lead us to act? Maybe this is too political for you. This past Wednesday night, I received a phone call regarding a police officer involved shooting in Clemson. Of course, I will not share personal details or specifics, But the result of the incident was one person deceased and two officers dealing with the emotional baggage of such a tragedy. They are still going to be working through this process for many days. In this case, my heart breaks for the mother who will have to bury her son. Regardless of whether he had made poor choices or not, that is irrelevant to her in this moment. She is broken. My heart also breaks for the officers who will likely never forget what they saw and experienced that night. Obviously, my job as a police chaplain requires me to reach out to the officers, and I have. And it's, it's kind of funny because you never know exactly what to say in a situation like that. And I imagine that perhaps that is the reason that most of us we will do nothing at all in a situation like that. We're afraid that we won't have the right answers or we'll say the wrong things. But the truth is that sometimes people just want to know that someone loves them. And you acting on your compassion reveals that to them. We have a world of people that need to know that it's more than just sympathy feeling bad for them. Rather, we are going to do something about it. What will we do to address the brokenness in those around us today? I wonder, in what way will you act to alleviate the pain of those around you? Maybe it's just listening or bringing someone a meal. Whatever it looks like, love requires action. I really enjoy the way this story concludes, by the way. Remember that as the story began, you had two crowds of people converging at the city gates, each going their different ways. But as the story concludes, we see that a celebration unfolds, and it appears logically to include people from both groups. It's almost as if the two groups have merged into one. What a contrast. Last week, we talked about the the ten lepers who had been healed. And after they were healed, nine of them went their own way, and only one comes back to Jesus. It's as if everybody splits up because there's no longer a need. But this is the exact opposite. Everybody's going their own ways. Everybody has their own agenda. But when Jesus shows up, suddenly everybody's going the same direction. Suddenly everybody is together. Know that when love is revealed through compassionate action, walls of division can easily be torn down. And it is so easy to apply this to our current culture. There are countless points of brokenness within our culture. And every one of them creates an opportunity for us to show compassion through our actions, tearing down the walls that divide us. You know, I have I can't help but notice that there's one other thing about Jesus's love that is being revealed in this story. It's not really talked about, but it's clear as you read it. You see, nothing about the mother is revealed except that she's a widow and is now grieving the loss of her son. Her character is never mentioned, although one might assume that she was a well-respected and liked individual because of the large crowd that had gathered with her. Either she was or her son was. But on this day, she did not come out looking Jesus. She didn't come out saying, Jesus, Lord, Master, raise my son from the dead. She simply came out to say goodbye. She's likely not seeking Christ, and I imagine that her only prayer was something along the lines of, God, why is this happening to me? Perhaps some of us have prayed that prayer. Maybe you're wondering where I'm going with this. Know that As this is relatively early in Jesus's ministry, she probably had never had any experience with Jesus himself. So he didn't show his love to her simply because of an existing relationship. Know that she is likely poverty stricken with nobody to care for her. Her husband has already died. Who will provide for this woman? Her son will not, he is dead. So he didn't love her because she could do something to benefit him. And we have no idea as to the character of this lady. But it is foolish to assume that this miracle was associated with her being a good person. We simply don't know that information. What Jesus models for us is a love that is unconditional. Understand that true love ought to be unconditional, without limit. The word love is somewhat hard to comprehend, partially because it can mean so many different things. For example, in the Greek, there are seven different words for love, depending on what type of love we're talking about. The three types of love that we are most familiar with is eros love, which is typically a sexual type of love intended to be shared only between two individuals. A phileo love, which is more like a brotherly love. It's somewhat intended for all, but it's typically generic, and there are limits to how far a brotherly love will go. But then there is also what we would refer to as an agape love, a passionate love without limits, that is completely unconditional. These types of love can kind of run together, especially as we translate and we just use the word love. There's one story that involved Jesus that helps us to understand it more clearly. You can turn there if you want. You don't have to, but it's in John chapter 21. It records a conversation between Peter and Jesus. At the point of this conversation, Jesus has already been betrayed, and even though Peter had declared his limitless love and allegiance to Christ over all the other disciples, even he had denied, even knowing Jesus. Since then, Jesus has been crucified, he has been resurrected, and I imagine the disciples themselves are wondering what could be next. How could Peter and the other disciples move on from this? As Jesus and Peter began to speak, you have to assume that in the back of Peter's mind, he is filled with incredible shame, realizing that he had declared his limitless, unconditional love to Jesus, but he certainly had not shown it. By the way, when the betrayal took place, when he denied Christ three times on the night of Jesus' arrest, Jesus had told him, you will do this. Before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. And we're actually told that as Peter denied him the third time, the rooster crowed. And immediately, Peter and Jesus' eyes made contact with one another. And Peter ran away weeping. Can you imagine the guilt and the shame that he felt? Can you imagine now being in a conversation with the very one who knew what you had done? So Jesus asked him a question Hey, Peter, do you love me? A picture of Peter thinking to himself at that moment, okay, here it is, he's going to go there. But as Jesus asked the question, he is asking about a very specific type of love. What he says is agape me, Peter. To translate that, what he's saying is Peter, do you still say that you love me with all your heart? Do you still declare your unending allegiance, your limitless devotion to me? A picture, a brief pause. As Peter reflected on the question as he remembered back to the last time he sat with Jesus at the Last Supper. And then he answers the question, sort of. He says, phileo se. And remember, there's a difference. Jesus asked the question, agape me. Do you love me with all your heart? Peter responds, phileo se. Translated, it means, yes, Jesus, I love you as a brother? That's not the question Jesus asked. This answer presents a problem. You see, an unconditional, limitless love is what caused Jesus to go to the cross. It was the type of love that filled him with compassion, and led to his sacrificial action. But Peter's brotherly love was apparently not enough. He turned his back on Christ in the midst of trial. So Jesus asked him again. He says, agape may Peter. I didn't ask you if you love me as a brother. Do you love me with all of your heart? I can't help but think that Peter wanted so much to be able to answer with an affirmative, yes, I do love you with all my heart. But he couldn't. So he responds a second time. "Phileo, say, I love you, but I love you as a brother. It is at this point that Jesus asks the question a third time. And we are told that peter is grieved because of this but it is important to note that jesus doesn't ask the same question the third time the final question is not peter do you love me with all your heart he doesn't say agape may instead he says phileo may peter do you really even love me as a brother Suddenly, Peter is grieved, and he is forced to admit that Jesus knows his own heart. And, Lord, if you've got to ask that question, I don't know. I want to be able to say I love you with everything that I have, but I thought that before, and I was wrong. I want to be able to say yes, but I don't know. You know my heart better than I even know myself. Each time, Jesus, he calls him to do something about it. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. See, the the point is that Jesus wanted him to have a kind of love that did more than talk about it, did more than just sound good, but a type of love that would call him to action. That is the unconditional love that God offered to us. And now he calls us to show to the world around us. As we celebrate this Valentine's Day, I want to challenge you as a church to love in a way that reflects Christ. One that says that I genuinely have compassion for those who are lost and broken. When you look at those around you who are suffering, going through difficult times, have compassion on them. Do whatever it takes to reach out to them, to love on them, not just saying, you know I'm going to pray for you. We ought to pray for them. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm going to challenge you to go beyond that. What can I do to change their current situation? Do I need to walk with them through this journey? Do I need to be there? Do I need to provide something that maybe someone else is not providing? What can I do? This is a call to action. Beyond compassion, what can I do to truly impact their brokenness? You see, those who are lost, what can I do to change their current situation? Will I be the light? Will I be the one who will bring the message of Christ, the hope of Christ to them, to show them that there is something that is real, that is not limited by comfort or convenience? And as you act, I call on you to do so in an unconditional way. Don't just pick out the people that you like. You now it's so easy for us to love on people that are just like us. It's so easy for us to love on people that if we do so, we might get something back. We are called to love unconditionally so that the rest of the world can actually see Christ in us. The kind of love that God is calling you to today is not some superficial, generic love, much like what Peter had as he denied Christ. He is calling you to an unconditional, limitless love that sees the hurting and then acts to alleviate the pain. Will you do that as the body of Christ? If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you today, well, we recognize that you have shown incredible, amazing love to us. We do not deserve it. While we were still sinners, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. Lord, we don't deserve that at all. This was not something that we earned. This was your expression of love to us. Father, I pray today that you would allow us to display the same type of love that you have displayed to us. Father, I pray that as we see the brokenness around us, that instead of offering judgment, instead of looking at their brokenness almost with a sense of disdain because I can't believe they would put themselves in this position, Lord, I pray that you would empower us to be your hands and feet, to genuinely love the individuals that you've placed in our lives, and to show them the type of love that you have for them. would I pray that you would help us to even look at this in a sacrificial way. It's not about us. It's not about our recognition. But this is all about people seeing the love of Jesus Christ in us. Father, I pray today for those who grieve. For some, this is a difficult day. Maybe because a spouse is no longer here, and maybe this is even their first Valentine's Day without that spouse. Father, I pray today that you genuinely would comfort them, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and you would fill them, Lord, I pray maybe you would call your people to go and to love on them as well. Father, I pray that you would use the, the hardship that we face as tools for your people to show the love that you have for them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It is truly a, go ahead. Let's, let's pray for her right now, and let's pray for you as well. Father, I come before you today, and first of all, I thank you for Jessica's heart, to love on the people that you have placed in her care. And I pray that you would give wisdom. I pray that you would help her to be able to reach into each of these kids' lives, but specifically today into this young lady's life. We know that brokenness comes in many forms. Sometimes it is a physical ailment that we can't fix. Sometimes it's emotional and there's baggage and there's other things that have happened in our past and other things going on in our lives that cause us to feel like something's wrong. And we need your help. We need your healing. First, I pray for wisdom for Jessica. I pray that you would give her the words to say that you would empower her to be your hands and feet to love on this young lady and to show this young lady that there is hope. And there is love and there is grace and that our frailties, our brokenness, do not have to define us. Lord, I pray that you would speak to and through Jessica in this, but I also pray that you would speak to this young lady. Lord, I pray that she would sense that Jessica is not merely fulfilling a job responsibility, but rather she is opening her heart in many ways, displaying incredible love, a genuine love. Lord, I pray that you would help her to realize that there is hope and it is found in the God that Jessica serves. Father, I pray today that you would extend grace in this situation. We don't believe that things happen by chance, and we believe that maybe you've placed Jessica in this young lady's life for such a time as this so that she might be able to introduce her to the love that is found in you. I pray now that you would use her to do that. Thank you for this opportunity, and we look forward to seeing how you work in and through it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Jessica, thank you very much for sharing that, and my guess is there are others probably that can understand that and relate as well. It is such a blessing to have each of you with us today, and hopefully you can come back and join us next week. I, I will give you a heads up, in two weeks, no, in three weeks, we have some baptisms that are going to take place. I'm excited about that. If perhaps you have not been baptized and you would like to be baptized, if you would let me know before then, I would want to meet with you just to kind of make sure we're on the same page and everybody knows what baptism is about. Uh, But that is on March the 7th, and we would love to have individuals baptized that week. And be sure to pick up one of those books as you leave today as Ash Wednesday uh, kicks off the Lenten season for us. Thank you for being with us, and go in peace. Thank you.